With that, let's give our attention to the text of the New Testament book of Hebrews. Today we're taking a look at Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. So why don't you open up your Bibles with me. Let's stand and give reverence to the word of the Lord as I read this morning's text. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 9. We read, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so... After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath is for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for the refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be with us now, in his presence, in his power, in his illuminating gift to us to help us understand something beyond what can be apprehended mentally of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The last time we were in the book of Hebrews, which was uh, two weeks ago today, we studied together one of the more controversial passages in the book of Hebrews, which was a very strong warning to the people who originally read the book. And because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was a very strong warning to us against falling away. Not merely falling as a person might stumble or fall into sin, but really falling away, making a departure in heart, in mind, in life, away from Jesus and away from the distinctively Christian life of saying that Jesus, of who he is and what he did for us on the cross, that that has to be the center of our walk with God. So it was a very strong warning against falling away. And I wonder if the writer of the Hebrews, feeling that he really delivered a strong blow, Intentionally so, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of warning to his original readers. Now he wants to come in, starting with verse 9, with a lot of encouragement. I'm not going to say that this was a bad cop, good cop routine. But, you know, a good coach, when he wants to motivate his players, sometimes he'll just sort of sort of frighten them about the consequences of not playing to their best. But then he'll turn it around and give them the most encouraging words that they could ever hear. He understands that a proper encouragement is made up both of warning and then of real anticipation and confidence 
in what victory we'll win. And that's what he begins here, verse 9, where he says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. I know I've been tough with you. I know I've given you a very strongly worded and directed warning. But now I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that I'm confident that you're going to rise the occasion and that you're not going to fall away, but rather you're going to fulfill everything that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And now in the remaining verses in this chapter, he is essentially going to give them, according to my reading of it, three reasons to be encouraged. He's going to sort of back up a dump truck full of encouragement and lay it down upon him. And I trust that these will be encouragements to you as well. Because listen, I know that there are some people who sometimes seem to check out of the Christian life. Maybe they sort of seem to check out in the Christian life based on uh, ideology, based on uh, intellectual reasons. Maybe it's based on moral reasons. Maybe it's based on this, but... I think one of the great reasons why people either back off from Christian living or turn their backs on Jesus altogether, it's because of discouragement, don't you think? They just become weary. They become weary of of a promise that doesn't seem fulfilled yet. They become weary of pressure that seems to come upon them from the outside. Maybe for a dozen different reasons, they become weary and discouraged. God is very much into encouraging you And let's let him do it now through these three different principles. First of all, in verse 10, starting with, don't be discouraged because God has not forgotten about you. Look at it right here. Verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end and that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I love how verse 10 begins. Did you read it? That God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Sometimes there's nothing more discouraging than the sense that God has forgotten about you. Then, you know, Lord, I've been serving you. I've been working for you. I've been trying to serve your people. I've served in this ministry. I've tried to make Christ known in this area of my life or in this opportunity that I've had. I've gone on missions trips. I've done this. And Lord, it seems like you've forgotten about me. Friends, if you have that sense, isn't it sort of crushing to your soul? Don't you kind of feel like, well, what's the point of going on? The writer of the Hebrews in the strongest terms possible. He wants to encourage everybody and let them know God has not forgotten about you. That, that good thing you did for someone else in Jesus name. God hasn't forgotten about it. That opportunity that you had to stand as a testimony to Jesus Christ and you stood. God has not forgotten about it. That temptation that you resisted and didn't give into. God never has forgotten about that. Matter of fact, look at how he says it there in verse 10. He says, God is not unjust to forget. If God forgot the ways that you have sacrificed to serve him and to love his people, it would be unjust of him. Now, there's one thing I can assure you of with all my heart. God is a just God. God is fair. And he would violate his own character if he forgot the things that you've done for him and for his people. So, friends, be comforted. Be assured. 
God would be unjust if he forgot about those things. And he'll never forget about them because your work and your labor of love is precious to him. Therefore, look at it there in verse 11. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. If God hasn't forgotten what you've done in the past, he's not going to forget what you do for him in the future. So carry it along with the full assurance of hope until the end. I've got good news for you. God working in you, God working through you, you can make it through to the very end with Jesus Christ. You can live your life as a strong testimony to the Lord, fulfilling everything that he's given you to do until the very end. Sometimes you wonder about that, don't you? Can I really make it? Will the discouragements and the depressions that I face all around me, will they drive me down in the dust? No, no. Don't forget, God sees everything. He honors everything that you've done to him. And that will give you the same diligence of the full assurance of hope to the end. Therefore, look what he says in verse 12. Don't be sluggish. Come on, you know what it's like to live that sort of sluggish Christian life? Where it's just like you don't have the, 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 the enthusiasm. You don't have the, the vitality of life anymore. It's like the difference between living in something that you, you feel on fire and burning for the Lord. Or you feel like, well, the proverbial wet blanket. He says, no. Knowing that God remembers everything and will reward everything. And nothing is forgotten for him. It enables you and I to say, no, we will not be sluggish. We will continue on until the very end. You see, this is what God wants us to do, to have this heart that says, no, I will not give up. I'm not going to lose the desire to press on. I'm not going to lose the desire to go on with the Lord. But no, Lord, you helping me, I will continue to the very end. And then I love how he says it here in verse 12. Did you see this one? But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, in verse 13, which we'll read in a moment, He puts up a shining example of somebody that we should imitate, the great man of the Old Testament named Abraham. Isn't it great that we've been looking at the life of Abraham in our home groups? And you take a look at that man, you go, no, it was through faith and patience that he inherited the promises of God. I hope to be able to inherit the promises of God the same way. Lord, keep my faith strong. Keep my patience strong. I love that phrase in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. First of all, look at those two things that go together, faith and patience. Sometimes people have faith, but they have no patience. They won't endure. It's like, Lord, I believe if you do it for me right now. Well, we've all been in that place, haven't we? And to that, the writer of Hebrews said, no, you got faith, add to it patience. Other people have patience. They can endure, but they don't endure in faith. They're not enduring saying, yes, Lord, I trust you. Yes, I'm confident in you. But friends, those two things together, faith and patience. And what do you do? You inherit the promises of God. By the way, I love that he said inherit. He did not say you earn the promises of God. No, they're not earned. They're freely given by God. But in order to receive that inheritance, oh, Lord, fill me with faith. Fill me with patience, just as you did with Abraham. Think of how Abraham had to wait so long to achieve some of the things that God promised him. He had to wait more than 25 years to receive the child that God promised. But no, he stayed strong and God gave him the faith and the patience to do it. And God calls upon us to imitate the faith and patience of men like Abraham. So don't be discouraged. God has not forgotten about you. With faith and patience, you will inherit the promises of God. 
Now, starting in verse 13, he gives a second reason to be encouraged. Here's a second reason. Number two, don't be discouraged because God's promises are reliable. Look at how he puts it here in verse 13. He says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Notice it. Verse 13, he reminds us of the promise that God made to Abraham. He said, God made a promise to Abraham. And with this, He's drawing his mind and our minds back to Genesis chapter 22, where God repeated a promise that he had made many times before to Abraham, but that it was through Isaac that the covenant would pass through, that it would be through Isaac that the seed would be called. And indeed, it would be through Isaac that God would bring forth a Messiah that would bring forth blessing to every family on earth. And by the way, that promise to Abraham and to Isaac and through their descendants was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus himself, but it didn't come easy for Abraham. It didn't come easy for Isaac. Instead, notice what he says here in verse 15. It came after he had patiently endured. He had to wait a long time for the promise to come. And let's face it, that's a discouraging time for us, isn't it? I think about the person very discouraged because there seems to be a stubborn sin in their life. And they hate that sin. And they pray for God to take it away. And most of the time they do all right. But even now, occasionally they give in to that sin and they're so discouraged. My friend, would you please patiently endure with the promise that God has given to you? I think of the person who's sick in their soul because they have a loved one who's far from God and they feel like, Lord, how long until you bring this person to yourself? I pray for them every day. They're on my heart, on my consciousness all the time. Lord, how long will you do this? I I appeal to that brother or sister. Would you please patiently endure? Some people feel like God has given them a calling or a promise or a destined future that he's promised to them. And it seems so far off. And you just say, Lord, how long? Lord, would you strengthen me? But look at those words right there. After he had patiently endured. That's what God worked in Abraham. And if we'll let him, he will work it in us as well. But all along the way, God wants you to be assured of something that his promise is sure. I love the word that he uses repeatedly in this section. Immutable or immutability. Now, that's not a word you use in everyday language, is it? But it's a great word. I just love it. It sounds so noble and majestic. Immutable simply means unchanging. You say, well, why didn't he just say unchanging there? I don't know. Immutable sounds cooler, at least in my ears. In other words, the promise, the confidence that God gives unto us is unchanging. Look at it there in verse 17. He says, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel. He confirmed it with an oath. In other words, God says, so you'll know my promise is true. I'm going to put my 
reputation on the line and I'm going to confirm it with an oath. And like it says there in the text, he could swear by no one greater. So he swore by himself. I I hope I say this reverently, but I think it's what the text is talking about. God doesn't say, I swear to God. You know what God says? I swear by myself. I put my deity on the line. I put my integrity on the line. I put my character on the line. And if I do not fulfill my promise, you may rightly question my character. But friends, the character of God is unquestionable. So we know he will fulfill his promise. Now, that's what he promised to Abraham. You say, wouldn't it be great if he promised the same thing to me? Can I tell you, friend, he does promise the same thing to you. He really does. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. And so we have this great fact that the Bible makes these wide open promises about who Jesus is and how we can come to him. Do you know that the Bible says that whoever comes to Jesus, he will in no way cast out? No way. And so you come to Jesus through the cross. There's Jesus, what he did for you on the cross, that he stood there as the substitute in our place and all the guilt, all the shame, all the judgment that my sin and your sin as well, all of it that it deserved before God. God, the father said, I will lay it upon my son at the cross. And that'll be the way that we make a road from me to you. And now God says, you come on that way through the cross and it's yours. You will never be cast out. That is an oath. It's a promise. God will never change it. And isn't that beautiful? It doesn't matter necessarily how much you feel saved at the moment. I hope that most of you have a wonderful sense of a right relationship with God. But can I tell you, your status with God doesn't depend on your feeling. It depends on his oath, his promise. I hope that you have a wonderful day, that it's pleasant, that it's good, that you sense the blessing and favor of God in your life. But if you don't, his promise is still sure. Can you just acknowledge it right now that the promise of God and the strength of his oath is greater than your feelings, greater than your experience? And say, Jesus, I'm going to let you be true and every person a liar. That is the strength of his oath. So he does this for us. He says that what Jesus did on the cross, it counts for all who come to him. That's an oath that he's made. He's made this oath that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And he's never going to break his promise. He's never going to break his oath. And that can bring encouragement to a very discouraged soul. This is how he piles point upon point here in verse 18, where he says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. I think the two unchanging things that God confirms his oath to us are number one, the promise, and then the oath that confirms the promise. And it is impossible for God to lie in either one of those two things. The absolute reliability of God's promise should blow us away. It should impress us greatly. Nobody can accuse God of perjury. God, you made a promise, but you didn't fulfill it. Why don't you put God's promise to the test and you'll see that it's true. And all of this collectively, look at it there in verse 18, where he says that we might have strong consolation. I love that phrase, strong consolation. It's not enough for God to give us consolation, although we would need it. Yes, Lord, I could use some consolation. Thank you for that. But you know what God says? I'm going to give you strong consolation. 
And I think about compared to the substitutes that the world would have. have Think about the void that people try to fill in their life with some sense of consolation. Think about that person who uh, opens up the bottle of alcohol and drinks too much and escapes into an alcoholic stupor. Aren't they trying to find some consolation? Think about the person who who lives a life that, that doesn't respect biblical morality when it comes to their sexual behavior. And they try this relationship or that relationship or, or this pleasure to fulfill. And aren't they seeking for consolation somewhere along the line? Think of the person who wants to find the content of their life in some kind of achieved success or material prosperity or the place that they live or the things that they have. Aren't they trying to find some consolation in their life? Let me tell you, all that stuff offers some measure of consolation, but it's weak consolation. Do you know what Jesus Christ offers you by the strength of his oath? Strong consolation. It's there for you to take, for you to receive. And therefore, he says there in verse 18, that it's for us who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. It's like Jesus is our rescue. He's our refuge. And we can run to him and find that place of strong consolation. I think it's beautiful and powerful How again and again, the writer of the Hebrews says to us, flee to Jesus, flee to Jesus, find it in him, find it in him. And I hope that you would. Friends, you're not going to find it in me. I hope to be a good messenger of God's word. I I hope to teach it properly and and passionately as much as God can give me to do it. But you're not going to find that strong consolation in me. You're not going to find it merely in church going. You're not going to find it in doing good works. But here's where you will find it. You will find it in Jesus Christ. Now, he goes to the third point of encouragement, starting at verses 19 and 20, where he says, don't be discouraged because Jesus is going to lead you into God's glory. He's not just going to pick you up and give you strong consolation where you are, but he's going to lead you into this glorious future. Look at it, verses 19 and 20, where he says this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that beautiful? It's so powerful. The hope that you have and the strength and the surety of God's oath, of his promise, it can be like an anchor for your soul. Now, friends, isn't this what you need? When your life is tossed about by storms, which I can tell you it will be if it's not already at the moment, it will be. Every person goes through stormy seasons in life. You can count on it. And being a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't uh, uh, insulate you from those stormy seasons of life. You'll have them. But this is what following Jesus Christ gives you. It gives you an anchor. It gives you an anchor of hope that is set down into firm rock. Matter of fact, I love it how he says, he says there in verse 19, we have an anchor uh, of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and enters the presence behind the veil. The anchor is put into something that's sure and certain, but it's unseen. Have you ever thought about how an anchor works? When you can see the anchor, it's no good. There it is on the ship. What a fine anchor. It's a nice anchor. It's a very good one. Might be the strongest anchor in the world. But listen, 
That anchor doesn't do you any good until it's in a place where you can't see it, until it's dropped down into the depths of the sea and it finds an anchoring point into solid ground and then it keeps you connected to something firm and stable. And so that's what the anchor does for the ship. It keeps it connected. It keeps it from being wrecked on the rocks. The anchor stabilizes the ship and it makes it more comfortable for everybody on board. And the anchor also helps the ship to maintain its progress that it's already made. If it wasn't for the anchor, it might go forward and then just get blown back. But no, the anchor, the anchor is a beautiful and powerful illustration of what Jesus Christ and his hope is to be for our life. Now, if we only had a symbolic representation of an anchor somewhere here in this building, I could draw the point far more powerfully. But you get the point, don't you? That here we are with Jesus as this powerful anchor of our soul. But can I remind you of something? The anchor does no good for the ship unless it's connected to it. You picture in your mind the sailors and the storms upon the ship, and there it is. It's a perilous situation. They throw the anchor overboard. They just forgot to connect it to a chain. It might be the best anchor in the world, right? But it's not connected. You need to be connected to your anchor. And Jesus Christ has gone beyond. I love how he puts this wording. He says, this hope we have is the anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. In other words, up in heaven. The anchor of a ship goes down to find stability. Our anchor goes up, and it's anchored firmly within the heavenlies. And now Jesus says, connect to me, and you will have that stability that you need. Even though you can't see the anchor, don't worry about it. You can't see the anchor on a ship when it's doing it good. You can't see the anchor up in heaven, yet you can know that you have it and you have that representation. I love what it says in verse 19, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us. Jesus has gone to heaven before us like a forerunner. And if he's the forerunner, you're the afterrunner. You're coming right after him and he's gone there to prepare a place for you and to make it sure and secure for you and for I. This is God's encouragement to us. You stay connected to that anchor and you're going to make it to the end. The ship will come to shore. It will come to its desired destination. And that's why we see in verse 20 where he makes this plain. The forerunner we have even Jesus. Jesus has gone into the heavens before us. He went knowing others would follow. There's no point in having a forerunner if there's not afterrunners. And you and I, we make up that great, glorious company. Now, in verses 19 and 20, he brings this idea of going up behind the veil. That's heaven talk. Having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, that's heaven talk. And he's introducing this idea of Melchizedek again. Melchizedek being this figure of a great high priest and an intermediator between God and man. Mentioned, as I said before, like a meteor that strikes across the sky of the Old Testament. This exciting person, Melchizedek, which we'll talk about next week. I feel like I keep putting Melchizedek off. It's like a bad soap opera. You know, tune in next week to find it. But that's what it is. That's what the text does for us. And we'll come back to Melchizedek. But I don't want you to miss what the text lays right down before us for you and for I. What we can grab a hold of with certainty. We have no reason to be discouraged. Now, I'm not speaking about the circumstances of your life. Maybe if you looked at the circumstances of your life, you would have great reason to be discouraged. 
look, I'm not going to give you some great big, don't worry, be happy. Every cloud has a silver lining, blah, 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 blah. It might be bad in your life. And let me give you this cheery thought. It may be even worse than you think. It's possible, right? Maybe you think things are bad, but you don't even know the half of it. So I'm not trying to tell you that things aren't bad or that there's not these difficulties in your life. It may very well be so. Here's what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus Christ is greater than even the greatest difficulty. And you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged because God has not forgotten about you. He would be unjust to forget about you. And if you're burdened by that thought that God has forgotten about you, I want you to reject it as a lie coming from the prince of darkness himself. No, God has not forgotten about you. Secondly, God's promises are reliable. He will never go back on his promise. And thirdly, Jesus is going to lead you into glory. He is the forerunner. That is true for everyone who's connected to the anchor. And now we come back to what Jay Cardi spoke to us about before, about this idea of being born again. I mean, for a person to be born again means that they have established that connection to the anchor. And again, for us, that connection doesn't go up, go down. I mean, it goes up into heaven. Do you have that connection? Has Jesus come and brought that transforming power in your life? Have you repented? Have you believed? If not, I'm going to give you an opportunity today. I don't want to waste anything that's been said here today about being born again without giving people the opportunity to do so. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. And in the midst of that prayer, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm telling you this because I'm not going to use any manipulation. I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. In the midst of my prayer, I'm going to give an invitation. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite anybody who wants to be born again, who wants today to be their day of repentance and faith in Jesus. You say, I want to be connected. And if you want to think about repentances, repentance is disconnecting from all those lame anchors that you've tried to make for yourself. And faith is connecting to the true anchor, Jesus Christ. If you're willing to disconnect from the false and connect to the true about who Jesus is and what he did for you, especially what he did for you on the cross. If that's what you want to do this morning and receive Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you in a few moments when I pray to stand when I give that invitation. And for the rest of us, I just want us to be praying. Because isn't it wonderful to think that there can be people right now among us that today can be a day that they remember for all eternity. Today can be the day when they pass from death to life, from old to new, and they can receive God's promise. So let's pray that that would exactly happen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you don't forget. We thank you that your promises are true. And we thank you that you've gone before us to glory. Lord, I pray that you would remind people of that great heavenly confidence and hope that you'd give us a renewed sense of it right here, right now. But Lord, I I can't help but think that there's got to be at least a few people in this room. They are not connected to their anchor. Their anchor is there. Their anchor is sufficient, but they're not connected to it. And so, Lord, I pray that by repentance and faith, that you work within the hearts of those whom you've called to be your people. That through that repentance and faith, people would connect to Jesus, to who he is, 
to what he did for them on the cross. And they would receive new life in you, that they would be, Lord, born again. So, Jesus, would you do that in our midst? And would you work with an eloquence and a power infinitely beyond anything I can say and speak to people's hearts right now? And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed in reverent prayer, I simply want to ask, who would like to put their faith in Jesus today? Who would like to be born again? Who would like to receive the power of God to repent and believe? If that's you right here, right now, would you please stand to your feet as a demonstration of that faith? Anyone now, I'll give you a few moments. You want to stand to say, I receive you, Jesus. I want to be born again. I'll give just another few moments for anyone here. Father in heaven, We thank you for the greatness of what you've given to us in Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that you would, by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit, speak assurance to everyone who belongs to you. And that by the power and the work of your Holy Spirit, speak to those who have yet to belong to you and draw them lovingly and powerfully into your kingdom. This is your word, Lord, which you have promised will accomplish the work that you set out for. We trust that it will. We trust that it has in the fulfillment of your promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.